0: Good morning, and happy Sabbath. We find the scripture for today in John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44, and it reads, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of God.
1: It's been my hope to keep something of the spirit of Easter alive in all of us as we uh, move on into the season. There's something powerful when we reflect on and when we teach on and when we uh, have services about the resurrection of Christ and the hope that we have in that resurrection and in that glory. And I just uh, want to see us carry some of that energy forward into our Christian lives day to day. And so the last two sermons I've talked about, uh, I've talked about resurrection, carrying on that theme. Well, you just heard Nellie read from the story of Lazarus. Now, in Jewish tradition, and I I have to say, I stand to be corrected, and that's fine. You know, if I need to be, correct me. I, I have never pretended to know everything, but as far as I can tell, the Old Testament does not record the story of the resurrection of Moses. We understand that in the Old Testament, Moses climbs up onto the mountain that he has a vision of what God was going to bring the people of Israel to, and he is laid to rest there. It isn't until we get to the book of Jude in the New Testament that we understand that Moses was in fact raised from the dead and is a precursor of what we would call the first fruit. This is significant because Moses and Elijah and a few others are precursors of christ they're christ types or antitypes they're the ones who prophetically and uh, in terms of of some of the aspects of what they did point forward to the messiah and the deliverance that was going to come i i had one sermon series a couple years ago where i was talking about the connections between jesus and moses for example So there is that sort of uh, must have been an oral tradition that carried forward to the time of Jude's writing or the letter Jude writes uh, In which it's explicitly expressed that Moses was in fact raised We also have the tradition of Enoch and Elijah Going to heaven without seeing death. You're familiar with those traditions. You've all heard of that Okay read of that in scripture So, when we get to the New Testament time, then, there's not a lot of Old Testament tradition to draw on. Now, Elijah had done something in his ministry that was really powerful. Do you remember what it was? He did a lot of things, but name something extraordinary that Elijah did. He raised somebody from the dead. Now, this is extraordinary. Would you agree? I'm not sure we're together here somebody got raised from the dead would that be extraordinary all right I, I I would hope so Elijah not using his power using God's power uh lays on this child with his body and his warmth and resurrects this child to life that has died Now, Elijah is also a sort of Christ figure. Are you familiar with that motif? Because when Jesus was first beginning his ministry, and for that matter, John the Baptist too, what did people say about him? When Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? The answer was, some say that you are who? Elijah. Yeah. Christ is sort of a type and Elijah the antitype so in Elijah's ministry and work you see a precursor of what's coming and in Elijah's ministry and work he is translated without seeing death and he is one who resurrects so that's part of the Old Testament tradition as well When we get to the life of Christ he is going to not only prove that he is uh, master of simple things Quote-unquote blindness, lameness, leprosy, but he is master of life itself. And in addition to being master of life itself, he's master of the elements as well. Now you remember the progression in the Gospel of Mark where he moves from just being a teacher to being a son of God in the eyes of the disciples as they journey with him and see what unfolds and what he does. Now, the Gospel of Mark does not contain the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. It should be very interesting if it did. But it doesn't. Only John contains the Gospel uh, story of the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, let's refresh ourselves about this story just a little bit. Jesus has heard that his friend Lazarus is ill. Some quick biographical notes. Lazarus lives in Bethany. He has two sisters that live with him, Mary and Martha. They own a home there. The scriptures do not record for us that they're wealthy, but tradition would have it that they were friends of Jesus. And it's understood in that that he took advantage of their hospitality from time to time, that they enjoyed each other's company and jesus enjoyed being there and they enjoyed entertaining him and keeping him they've they're close enough to jesus that when lazarus gets gravely ill they send word to him to please come because they've heard of the work that he's done in healing people already and jesus gets word and he's only three miles away from bethany and he doesn't come Now some of you walk 3 miles every morning for your exercise program. It's not a big deal. And Jesus didn't have a car, so walking was not a problem for him. He did it all the time. 3 lousy miles. And he can't can't go. Doesn't go. And he explains that the glory of God is going to be revealed. Do you do you hear that? The glory of God doxa the glory is going to be revealed something extraordinary is going to happen in this and after three days all right after a period of time he lazarus dies of course and he heads to Bethany. and by the time he gets there lazarus has been dead how many days according to the gospel four days now martha meets him out on the road and she does not mince words what is the matter with you? We called for you. I'm paraphrasing. Um, what's the matter with you? We called for you. If you would have come, our brother wouldn't have died. But as it stands, he's been dead now four days. She's distraught. She's angry. She's upset. Why? Should, you know. Why would she be angry? because she knew what Jesus could do she knew let's go to John 11 to the story Oh, you know, I'm going to stand corrected already. Bethany is less than two miles from Jerusalem, where Jesus was, so it wasn't even three miles; it was less than two. So Mary doesn't come out to greet the Lord in this story, which is interesting because she's close to Jesus, but she doesn't doesn't come out. Jesus says to Martha on this. Road, verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, Yes, I know he'll rise in the resurrection at the last day. So, what does that tell us about Martha? Is she a Pharisee, a Sadducee, an Essene? You, do you know? A little louder. Pharisee. She is of the party of the Pharisees because she acknowledges that there's a resurrection. Alright, so And Jesus politically is aligned with the Pharisees In this particular way too Which is interesting Because he's so hard on them He's so hard on the Pharisees throughout the scripture He cannot stand their legalism He cannot stand their smugness He can't stand their self-righteousness But he agrees that there's a resurrection And the Sadducees deny this So Martha comes out And she agrees with Jesus That there is in a pharisaical sort of theology if you will that there's going to be a resurrection at the last day and she knows eschatologically somewhere in the future yes her brother will live again but Jesus says to her this something really poignant I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this? I'm going to ask you do you believe this? I'm not sure. What does this mean? He who believes in me will never die. I keep burying the saints. People I know die. People I love die. People I know and love know people who die, who believe. But that's not what the text is talking about. Because Jesus just earlier is talking about how Lazarus has fallen asleep. It's an important distinction in John 11. Because if you were asleep, what's going to happen? You're going to wake up. And if you are dead, dead, what's going to happen? Yeah, unfortunately. There's a distinction between that which is going to be resurrected and that which is suffering the second death, so to speak, that which is dead. And so Jesus has to plainly tell the disciples, look, Lazarus is dead because they don't get it when he's talking the sleep language. But he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you're going to live even though you die, which is our experience and our story, isn't it? We believe and we die. But he says, Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Extraordinary. Martha confesses, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now, there is a piece of theology. You are the anointed one, the Messiah. And you have come into the world, meaning you have come from another place. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. We've heard that chorus once before. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He said, come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Don't think... Jesus doesn't enter our sorrows. Don't think Jesus doesn't enter our pain. Don't think even though he's the Lord of life, he doesn't see the despair in our eyes. Doesn't sense those moments when we feel hopeless. Doesn't understand loss. He weeps in this moment, though the glory of God is about to be revealed. He's deeply moved by the sadness of this loss of his friend and Martha and Mary's brother and this community that's gathered to mourn that this man who was fine got sick and got worse and passed. And the Jews said, see how he loved him, speaking of Jesus. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So he's there. It's a day late and a dollar short. They can see that he loved Lazarus, but they can't understand why he didn't do something to keep him from dying. Has that been your experience before? I know as your pastor that it's your experience. When we've lost someone dear, someone close, someone whose time it didn't seem it was, we wonder why the Lord could not have prevented it. It's such a normal, human cry. And the people gathered there with Lazarus are saying the same thing. Is this not, in some ways, Jesus' fault? Yes, he's here. We can see he loved him. He's moved. But couldn't he have done something about it? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he says, Take away the stone. Does this remind you of another event? Jesus is laid in a tomb carved out of rock. A stone is rolled in front of it. It's sealed with a Roman seal and a guard is put in place. And it will be at the word of God that the stone is moved. That he is freed from his own tomb. Martha protests By this time there's a bad odor, Lord. He's been there four days. And if you've ever been to Israel, anybody been to Israel? It is so hot there, you don't need four days for a bad odor to start going. I'm telling you, Lazarus was cooked in there. It wouldn't have been pretty. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus prays a prayer for the benefit of others. It's a prayer designed to help those there witnessing gather some strength and find some faith. Jesus thanks the Father that the Father has always heard him and confirms his faith that he knows God hears him. But he's saying this now for the benefit of the people standing that they might believe in him who sent him and believe in the one sent. When he had said this, Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And it's like a scene out of a movie. The mummy crawls forward covered in strips and jesus commands that he be let loose now when we read the resurrection story of christ himself we find that there are strips of cloth we often think of the shroud the shroud of turin and some of you may have followed that story through the years but the Swaddling clothes that Jesus was wrapped in and put in the manger were the strips of burial. And these strips of cloth, these rags, if you will, these linen pieces were used to wrap the body. And often it was put in a shroud and laid in the tomb. And when Lazarus is called from death to life, when the voice of the one who gives life speaks, Lazarus comes out, but he's not free of these things and he has to be freed. And the voice that calls, John says this of him at the beginning of his gospel. John chapter 1, verse 3. Through him all things were made. And that's... Really significant, isn't it? Through this word made flesh, this Christ. All things were made, nothing was made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, including people. The maker, it says, has life within him. In him was life, verse 4, and that life was the light of men. In him was life. This one who was sent, this one from God, this one who is the Son of God, this one who was the Messiah, the one who was come into the world, according to Martha's confession. this one who now speaks to death with authority, and it yields even after four days. Lazarus come forth, and mourning is turned into dancing, although I think it was freaky for a little while first. I think people really took a few minutes to get a hold of this. And hours and days, actually. Lazarus comes forth and is reunited with his family and with Jesus. He'll die again, the first death. But he is temporarily given a reprieve from the grave. And Jesus has done the work of Elijah. And Jesus will live out resurrection life as he himself is called forth from the tomb, as he bursts out of a tomb that has a stone rolled in front of it, as he's freed from grave clothes, as he appears. I wonder what would happen if Jesus commanded each of us to come out of our tombs. We're all dead somewhere. Aren't you dead somewhere? Dead to something? Aren't there damaged places somewhere in your life that you've just sealed off? Too painful to deal with? Are there things that you have sealed off from God touching or being a part of or being involved in? Because it's just too close. Too invasive. Only you know. But He says come forth. He wants to bring us from death life now and in the age to come. He wants that life to be the light that shines forth in our lives and illuminates everything dark and gives us such confidence that the grave has no fear for us. For we know that it is but a sleep, that there's life on the other side resurrection life in the voice of Christ in the call of God in the one who made us and gave us life in the first place and the one who redeems us the one who resurrects us I, I want that life I want it now and I want it into the future I suspect you do too Do you know what the response was when Lazarus was raised from the dead? There was a group of people who believed in him. And do you know what the other group of people did? They went political. They went to the Pharisees and said, you're not going to believe what's happened." And you know what the Pharisaical response was? Now, were the Pharisees the one who believed in resurrection or didn't believe in resurrection? They did believe in resurrection. The Pharisees who believed in resurrection hear a resurrection story and their first response is, we've got to kill him. Isn't that ironic? We've got to kill him because if we don't stop this, everyone will believe. And if everyone believes... Not only will we lose our positions and lose our power, but we will lose our government and the Romans will crush us. Wow. Jesus has just raised somebody from the dead and we're worrying about covering our behinds politically. (laughs) And unfortunately, that is the response of many today we're really more concerned about the politics of it all. It's an incredible moment because they do decide that they're going to get Jesus from this point forward. They do decide that they're going to crucify Him. And when they get Him and when they crucify Him and when they seal that tomb and when on the third day with the sign of Jonah, another prophet, He is resurrected from the dead... They have no choice but to make up a story, do they? How is it that a man comes out of a tomb sealed by a government? How is it that a man who is dead lives? How is it that one who has been guarded by a regiment of a hundred soldiers is missing? Let's get political. What we will do is instead of saying that you were all knocked on your behinds by the glory of God and laid there as dead men, what we're going to say is that you fell asleep. All of you. And then what we're going to say is while you were sleeping the disciples came in, rolled the stone away and stole the body. Oh, that's likely, isn't it? What kind of probability do you give that? Let's put it this way. You're in Iraq. There are 100 soldiers on duty guarding, name something, a hospital. All 100 soldiers fall asleep and allow extremists in who plant bombs leave and blow the place up? How likely is that to happen? Do you give it a one in twenty chance? One in a hundred? One in a thousand. Any odd takers yet? Are we up to one in ten thousand? I don't have one taker at one in ten thousand. One in a hundred thousand? One in a million? Oh, certainly one in a million. I'm not even sure the odds are that good, unless there's some sort of sleeping gas involved or they're messed with in some way. Those guards could never have all fallen asleep. But that was the story. That was the politics. Now, what was the penalty for falling asleep on duty? Death. So you can imagine the guards weren't real anxious to go with this story at first. But it's called a backroom deal, and it had two parts. The first part was the payola. Here's the money, keep your mouth shut. The second part was, if you have problems politically with the Roman side of this, we'll take care of it. And what did that mean? What it meant was that if we have to, we will admit to a magistrate the truth that we told the population that you fell asleep and that we paid you to buy that story, but that you did not. We'll take care of the problem. Backroom deals and dollars have always been the way of politics. And it was there when Lazarus was resurrected, and it was there when Jesus was resurrected. I don't think it's going to be there when we're resurrected if in fact we aren't alive to see Christ come. As we understand it, his coming is going to pretty much take care of the population that's not in him that we know of. That'll be our deliverance. We will be immune at that point from the second death. But I hope as you read the story of Lazarus again and as you think about the resurrection of Christ that something will stay in you as a ray of hope that the one who has life in him that the one who creates that the one sent from the Father that the one who is God and was God that the one who is the Messiah the anointed one Christos the Messiah, the promised one. That this one who commands the elements and commands the spiritual forces and powers and commands the body and its diseases also commands death and hell. He has authority over death and hell. And when he says, wake up, watch out. people 4 days wrapped in linen stinking to high heaven in a cave in Israel start walking out and he says let him loose and give him something to eat you know Jesus after he was resurrected ate with the disciples anybody know what the meal was broiled fish good stuff right there by the lake by the sea there's going to be a feast too when we were resurrected the feast of the lamb and never more will we have to deal with death or loss it'll be over it'll be done and I want to see us if we can carry forth that resurrection hope Because it's going to get us through a lot. It's going to carry us through some pretty tough times. One of the songs in the Easter portion of the Messiah is, I know that my Redeemer liveth. If He wasn't resurrected, He's not living. And if He's not living, we're wasting our time. Do you know that you're redeemer lives then you know that he too has power over death for you and for me and that if he lives we shall live too let us pray lord help us to carry in our hearts and minds and in our lives this resurrection hope this awareness of your power and your victory. This confidence in the, one, in the fact that the one who makes us can make us again. That the one who redeems us can call us to live, not just spiritually, but bodily. That the joy of life that springs up in Christ is ours always. Go with each of us this day, I pray, in Jesus' name.